Welcome to On the Middle East, the podcast of the award-winning media service, Al Monitor, where each week we talk with the decision makers and thought leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in the Middle East. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of Al Monitor, and our guest today is Al Monitor's senior correspondent, Ambrin Zaman, and we will be talking about prospects for U.S.-Turkey relations under a Biden administration, the Kurdish question in Iraq, Turkey, and Syria, why Israel is less than enthusiastic about overtures from Turkey to warm up relations, and about Amberin's new role as the alternative sometime host of this podcast on the Middle East. Before we bring Amberin into the conversation, let me share my take on what's happening in Gaza and with Hamas, given the many changes in the region and Egypt's key role in Palestinian affairs and a possible revived peace effort as the Biden administration comes on board in just about 10 days. Hamas, the Islamic resistance movement, is scrambling for relevance given events in the region and the grim conditions that continue in Gaza. A recent UN report warns that Gaza's economy is near collapse and there are almost zero prospects that there will be a change for the better, absent a dramatic change in Gaza and the region. The larger issue for Hamas is its isolation, which is increased by the normalization agreements between Israel and the UAE, Bahrain, Morocco, and Sudan. Also by the US brokered reconciliation among the Gulf Cooperation Council states and the new push for an Israeli-Palestinian peace conference led by Abbas and Egypt. With a new U.S. administration coming in, Iran, Hamas, Syria, and Hezbollah, the so-called resistance front, find themselves even more on the outside looking in with regard to regional trends. So Hamas is looking to play as many cards as possible to stay relevant and engaged as events unfold and has agreed to re-engage in a reconciliation process with Abbas and move toward elections in the West Bank and Gaza. Now, this may all sound familiar. The parties have started down this road before, but this time it just might happen. Abbas wants to see an international conference on Palestine this year. For that to happen, he needs the momentum, legitimacy, and boost that should come from long overdue Palestinian elections. And that requires the buy-in of Hamas. Now, no surprise that Egypt closed the deal between Hamas and the PLO to go ahead with elections. We wrote back in August 2019 that Egypt matters more than ever. We could actually write that column every year or even every few months. This week, the foreign ministers of Egypt, Jordan, France, and Germany met in Cairo to discuss ways to advance the peace process. Whether intentional or not, Egypt's diplomacy is also a signal to the incoming Biden administration about Cairo's role in the region. Egypt may be wary of increased pressure from Washington on human rights and press freedoms. U.S. President Donald Trump and his Egyptian counterpart, Abdul Fattah el-Sisi, had a good working relationship, and Trump shielded Egypt, as well as the UAE and Saudi Arabia, sometimes Turkey, from human rights demands and other pressures from Congress. That could change under Biden. Egypt's diplomatic surge is a reminder 
of its many links to vital U.S. national security interests in the Middle East, not just in the Israeli-Palestinian issue, but also in, in Africa and the Eastern Mediterranean. You can read more about what's happening with Hamas and then Gaza and with Egypt in last week's Week in Review column and in our Egypt and Palestine Pulse columns every day. Now to our podcast with Amberin Zaman, senior correspondent for Al Monitor. Amberin covers the entire region, but is especially known as a go-to must-read columnist on Turkish, Syrian, Iraqi, and Kurdish politics. My conversation with Amberin Zaman begins now. Amberin, welcome to On the Middle East. Thank you for having me again, Andrew. It's good to have you back on the show. Let's talk about what we might expect from U.S.-Turkey relations under a Biden administration, which is really only days away. Bilateral ties got worse under Trump, and that's despite a good working relationship between President Trump and President Erdogan, especially over the last two years. But Erdogan spokesman Ibrahim Collins said today that his conversations so far with the Biden transition team are what he said is very positive. They want to turn a quote new page uh, with Turkey. He was referring to the Biden team and that three issues remain in U.S.-Turkey relations that are problematic. And that's U.S. support for what Turkey calls the Syrian Kurdish YPG PKK terror group in their terms a lack of action against the Gulan movement, which Turkey accused of uh, being behind a coup in 2016, and the U.S. has so far refused extradition of uh, Fatullah Gulan, who's based here in the United States. And the third issue is the F-35 embargo against Turkey because of Turkey's acquisition of the Russian S-400 missile defense system. Those have been tough issues uh, for the Trump administration, for the United States, and for the Congress. What do you expect And from the Biden administration? Will they be able to make progress on these issues where the Trump administration didn't? Well, first of all, that list that he presented is incomplete because there's also the Hulkman case, the case of this state-run Turkish bank that, uh, you know, was a main facilitator of Iran's Uh, oil for gold uh, scheme, you know, uh, busting US sanctions, essentially, to the tune of billions of dollars. So uh, Hulk Bank uh, was a facilitator for that and was prosecuted uh, by the Southern District Court of New York. And that case will be seen again, heard again in March. And there's a, you know, huge fine pending against this, this state lender. And so that's an outstanding issue that will, I think, um, lead to further tensions on, on, you know, between Turkey and the United States. But, you know, overall, uh, looking at, you know, how things will go under Biden, obviously, Turkey is very aware that they won't get quite you know, the same kind of uh, tolerance, shall we say, that uh, was afforded to them by President Trump, because we know that President Trump and Erdogan had this, you know, uh, very good relationship, even though, you know, on occasion, Trump would get tough, 
uh, and we saw that happen after the Turkish invasion back in 2019 of Syria, uh, which was actually ironically greenlit by Trump himself. Uh, but, you know, uh, overall, I think things are going to get tougher under the Biden administration. And the, the suggestion that somehow there's work to be done on the US side, I think is very unrealistic on the part of Cullen, if that's, you know, what he's expecting, that, that, that the United States has to, you know, take steps to help fix this, when in fact, you know, it's really as Washington views things, Turkey that needs to fix things. And that would mean, for instance, uh, I think the S-400 um, missiles, you know, the United States is very clear on this and they've sanctioned Turkey uh, under CATSA. And it's very clear that they need to um, either dispose of those missiles or sort of, I don't know, park them somewhere and uh, set up an effective monitoring mechanism uh, whereby it's, uh, you know, um, assured that, that these uh, missiles are not operational at any time. And short of that, there's no way that those sanctions are going to be lifted. So this is where Ankara has to step up to the plate. Uh, as far as Fethullah Gulen is concerned, um, for, for all the time that Turkey has been demanding that he be extradited, Turkey has also been uh, providing evidence against him, which has not been found uh, credible by the Justice Department. And I'm not sure that, you know, that's going to change. So that, again, will remain a, a, a thorn in relations. And then, of course, there's this whole business of the U.S. alliance with the SDF stroke uh, YPG. Uh, which Turkey considers to be a terrorist organization because of its roots in the PKK, uh, the Turkish rebel group that's been fighting Turkey for the past 36 years. Um, will the United States change its policy under the Biden administration? Will it scotch that relationship? Very doubtful indeed. Amberin, what about the appointment of Murat Merchan as Turkey's new ambassador to the United States? So Turkey is talking about turning a new page with the Biden administration, and um, they've actually come up with a, a new ambassador to Washington. And it's a very interesting pick because for the first time, it's not a career person, but a politician who is a founding member of uh, the AKP mm. and who was very close to Abdullah Gül, to the reformist wing, of the AKP, so a very uh, sort of liberal-minded figure, a very open-minded uh, person uh, who is actually, I think, going to have an interesting effect. He's very outgoing, very friendly, uh, and he was most recently ambassador to Tokyo, where he seemed to have created a very good impression, very active. It's going to be interesting to see how he approaches things and whether he's going to be able to make a difference. Turkey does have some new allies in this administration. Uh, Amanda Sloat has taken up uh, the position of, um, uh, of um, uh, the NSC person for EUR and including Turkey. And she used to be the, you know, DAS at the State Department who also covered Turkey and was generally viewed as, you know, giving Turkey fair treatment or wanting Turkey to be given fair treatment, a fair hearing, on the, especially on this whole YPG thing. So let's see how that all plays out. Amber, and I don't think anyone has covered the Syrian Kurdish issue and the SDF as closely as you have. 
the PKK has bases in a corner of Iraq, a very difficult mountain range, Kandil Mountains, which is bordering Turkey. Uh, the KRG, you broke this story, the Kurdistan regional government has asked for help from the U.S. military to address this issue of, of the PKK, which has become more active in Iraq. How do you see that issue progressing? Do you, do you see Iraq and Turkey coming together around the issue of the PKK? And is there a role for the United States in this? Well, what we saw under uh, the Trump administration, particularly with uh, Jim Jeffrey, uh, the uh, former Syria envoy, and what we saw was an attempt to sort of bring Turkey on board uh, with the SDF to try and uh, triangulate that relationship whereby the SDF would distance itself from the PKK and, you know, then Turkey would, you know, sort of stop sort of um, being hostile and, you know, stop attacking uh, the Syrian Kurdish leadership because, you know, it will no longer be perceived as having links with the PKK. Now, that was always pie in the sky. Uh, that's very hard uh, to realize because, in, in effect, the PKK is a very potent uh, and um, present force in uh, northeast Syria. You know, you can't get around that fact, however much, you know, uh, the SDF leadership, uh, you know, Mazdum um, Kobani, you know, has this very good working relationship with, uh, with the US forces there and increasingly with US diplomats there and has shown tremendous, you know, goodwill and commitment to try and make things work. Uh, the fact remains that, you know, he, his, uh, you know, his situation is a very sort of fragile one because ultimately this force does exist there, does operate there. And, you know, the, the idea that he could somehow cut them loose, you know, uh, is just unrealistic. So there, there's that piece. Um, the other piece, of course, is, as you mentioned, uh, Iraqi Kurdistan. And, um, you know, Turkey has been sort of escalating its attacks against the PKK there. And this in turn has, you know, made life very uncomfortable, particularly for the KDP, which is the main stakeholder in that uh, Kurdistan regional government and the, the party that actually co uh, controls the areas where uh, the PKK is, uh, you know, uh, embedded, uh, be it in Kandil, as you mentioned, or be it closer to the uh, Turkish border, um, I mean, closer to the Syrian, uh, uh, Syrian Iraqi Kurdish border, that uh, area uh, further west. Uh, so when the Turks attack, of course, uh, civilian areas get uh, affected by this. And this in turn, of course, creates tremendous anger among the civilian population with many people displaced and even killed and feeling resentful towards their own government, the KD, KDP, KRG leadership for failing to stop this. And so you have this sort of, uh, you know, uh, situation where the further, the more the Turks attack, the further uh, the PKK moves into these KRG areas out of their, you know, uh, traditional mountain strongholds. And so uh, we've come to a point where now we see the PKK and the KDP actually confronting each other. And so that is, again, a very, um, a very delicate uh, situation for uh, the Syrian Kurds. Why? 
because they rely very much upon the KDP and KRG uh, for you know, easing access for trade, for uh, the movement of people, goods, and of course, that's the logistic hub for US forces coming in and out of Syria. It's a very, very complex situation there. And so the challenge facing the Biden administration is how to tamp things down between, um, between the SDF and, and the KDP, which controls that border area on the Iraqi side. And a very difficult challenge, both in terms of the politics, as you laid out, and the military logistics. It's they, The PKK has been based there for a long time. Uh, there have been flare-ups over the past, and it just seems to be difficult terrain, difficult politically, uh, and the sensitive matter, as you say, because... Um, the, the- well, the problem is, you see, you know, when um, the Americans sort of signed up for these uh, unity talks between uh, the SDF uh, or rather the PYD. There are all all these acronyms that may confuse our listeners. Uh, So the PYD is the sort of main political party in in Syria, Northeast Syria, that has links links to the PKK. what the United States and the SDF commander, uh, Muslim Kabani, set out to do was to try and reconcile the PYD with the other opposition Syrian Kurdish parties. Uh, um, and the idea was that, you know, once they were reconciled, this would, on the one hand, you know, uh, give uh, the uh, existing uh, Syrian Kurdish administration local buy-in, but it would, uh, and you know, increase its legitimacy and also ensure unity vis-a-vis the regime. Uh, you know, at any point that they start negotiating for Kurdish rights, uh, at the same time maybe give them a seat at the table. That's uh, the PYD in Geneva, but most critically, and certainly from the U.S. point of view, help overcome Turkish hostility. If you bring in these. Um, opposition Syrian Kurdish parties which have close links uh, to Turkey and the KDP in Iraqi Kurdistan that this would somehow you know uh, fix everything but from as the PKK sees things this is all happening on the back of you know on the back of trying to destroy them you know the idea being that you know uh, when you bring in the Syrian Kurdish parties at the same time you're um, phasing out the PKK you're diminishing their influence and meanwhile uh, you know you know sort of turning a blind eye and perhaps even providing intelligence for Turkey as it you know kills their people uh, on the other side of the border in Iraqi Kurdistan, you know, so uh, it's it's very hard to square that circle to, to sort of get the PKK to support these talks when, you know, the purpose of the talks seems to be to, to sort of annihilate them as the PKK sees things. So uh, again, a very huge challenge. How does the United States, how does the Biden administration, you know, um, address this, you know, how do they, on the one hand, try and bolster uh, Muslim Kobani, who, you know, they apparently obviously seem to support very strongly and regard as a very able, you know, leader who, 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 you know, a good partner, but at the same time do so in a way that they're not pitting him against an organization which he, you know, at the end of the day came out of, 
uh, uh, you know, in ways that destabilize that area. It's, it's very, very tricky. And you can see how Turkey would have a strong interest in seeing that whole thing blow up. You know, the more you, the Kurds are divided, the better things are for them as they see things. I think, you know, the Biden administration's priority will be, first of all, to make sure, you know, in terms of how, you know, Turkey is involved, to make sure that, you know, there are no further Turkish attacks. And uh, perhaps they will be, you know, less romantic, shall I say, than Jim Jeffrey in, in trying to sort of bring the Turks on board at any cost, you know, because the way uh, it was conceptualized by uh, the Jeffrey team, it was really using the Kurds uh, of Northeast Syria as a vehicle uh, for sort of improving relations with Turkey. And, you know, part of that was, you know, uh, trying to supposedly, you know, phase out the PKK from Northeast Syria. Uh, the other part of it was, you know, a sort of pushing back against Iranian influence. Uh, I think that this new team will take a, a, a much broader, less ideological sort of approach to the whole uh, Northeast Syria thing. And particularly now that we have uh, Brett McGurk at the NSC uh, handling this file, I think that uh, quite a bit of it will be seen through the prism of uh, the Iraq policy, which will be, I think, very central to all of this. And as such, uh, I think Northeast Syria will be more of a subset of that. And I think you'll see a lot of pragmatism at play and, you know, certainly coordinating, you know, with the Russians when it's felt necessary. Uh, so, yeah, I think the emphasis on trying to please Turkey uh, won't be <laughs> that strong. Amber, and you broke the story that Turkey's intelligence chief, uh, Hakan Fadan, who is as close to Erdogan as anybody in the cabinet, personally has led negotiations to warm up ties with Israel. Israel and Turkey have diplomatic relations, but they've been quite cold uh, over the last few years. You speculated that Turkey is doing so in part to uh, influence its relationship with the Biden administration. Why is Israel, which has normalized agreements now with four Arab states, not taking up the offer to warm up ties with Turkey at this time? Well, there are many reasons for it. I mean, first of all, there's a domestic political aspect where you have, again, we're going, for, going uh, towards elections, headed for elections in Israel. And I, I don't think any uh, contender would want to be perceived as, you know, uh, making nice with Turkey. That is, that is not good politics in Israel at the moment because, you know, uh, the relationship has deteriorated to the point where, in fact, you know, good relations with Turkey is a bad, perceived as a bad thing. I mean, for as long as Turkey is led by this government of uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Uh, Second, you know, Israel has made itself new friends. You know, in the old days, uh, Turkey had the distinction of being, you know, the sole majority Muslim state with good relations with Israel. Uh, you know, okay, they had a relationship with Jordan and, 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 and Egypt, but that's quite different, a cold piece. With Turkey, they have this really strong relationship uh, that steadily uh, deteriorated ever since uh, Erdogan came to power in 2002. 
And of course, what we've seen is, you know, under Erdogan, Turkey are sort of uh, striking up relationships with, you know, Muslim Brotherhood linked uh, uh, parties across the Middle East, including Hamas. And uh, the Israelis contend that Turkey, you know, has become a sort of logistical operational base for Hamas from where they plan uh, attacks against Israel. Turkey denies this, uh, but Israel is adamant that this is happening. And whenever the issue of reconciliation with Turkey comes up, uh, they say, well, you've first got to address this. You've got to get rid of these people. They also claim that Turkey has provided citizenship for some of these uh, people who are U uh, designated terrorists by the U.S. State Department. In fact, Pompeo uh, called Turkey out uh, on this, uh, on meeting with several of these people, Erdogan meeting with them, hosting them. So... Uh, there are these factors, at, obviously, at play. Uh, and also the way Turkey's gone about it has also, you know, made things worse, uh, arguably. For instance, uh, Turkey nominated this uh, think tank person uh, with very close links to the AKP, uh, who's, you know, uh, written some overtly anti-Israeli things. Uh, so the idea that just because he studied in Israel at some point and speaks some Hebrew, that this should make him, you know, uh, hugely popular and welcome in Israel was, was incredibly clumsy uh, uh, and ill-conceived and just made Israelis even more angry. Uh, and, you know, meanwhile, they've also established these close ties with Cyprus and Greece, you know, there's the whole Eastern Mediterranean aspect of this. Uh, Israel in the day, back in 2017, was still trying to, you know, uh, strike an agreement with Turkey whereby they'd export their natural gas uh, via Turkey. And the negotiations seemed to be going quite well until suddenly Erdogan pulled the plug, you know, an Israeli uh, officials who were involved in this, those negotiations have told me that they believe, you know, some say it was because of pricing, but others say they really think that ultimately it was, you know, because of Erdogan's politics, um, that he's, you know, fundamentally against close ties with Israel. So uh, my sense is very much that, you know, uh, unless Turkey takes some really, you know, substantive steps certainly on the Hamas front, uh, Israel is in absolutely no hurry uh, to, you know, at a time, as I said, that they're, they are cultivating these other Muslim countries uh, and also Greece and Cyprus in the Eastern Mediterranean, they, they see no reason to be in any huge rush uh, to, to fix things, you know, the status quo is good enough. It's not that they don't have relations with, with Turkey, they do, and in fact, uh, economic ties are, are quite good. Uh, but, you know, the need is, is really not that strong any longer. And I don't expect anything to change until you've had elections in Israel and, and, and you know, a new government is in place. And, and you know, if it's Netanyahu again, I, I just don't think he's very interested. Amber, and uh, we have a few minutes left, and I wanted to spend those minutes uh, to talk about a pretty exciting announcement for us here at Monitor, and that is that you will be coming on as a host of this podcast on the Middle East, doing your own show, 
every month or so, depending on your travel as a diplomatic correspondent, and that you're going to emphasize the role of women in the region, but with a, a, a twist on that subject matter. Tell us what you're thinking about with uh, your programs on the podcast. Well, it's not that I want to talk about women. I just want to talk to women about the big issues in the Middle East. Um, because, you know, it's, it's, it's just so frustrating to always see men on panels. You know, we call them mannels. Uh, men seem to have a disproportionate voice on so many of these issues when there's tons of really clever uh, you know, uh, inspiring, imaginative, and powerful women around whose voices need to be amplified. Uh, and so I'm very much hoping that that's something I can do every now and then when I when I uh, steal your show, as it were. That's it. I'm looking forward to all of your program and the guests you're going to be bringing on. And tell us about your, your guests next week, because that will be your first show. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm planning to have somebody who I, I think is absolutely amazing, Elizabeth Tsurkov, who is an Israeli-Russian uh, uh, researcher who's been uh, following Syria for, for many, many years, who speaks fluent Arabic, who has an incredible network of contacts, uh, particularly among the Syrian Sunni opposition, who's, you know, traveled there, been there, and um, who really not only brings her mind to the subject, but also her heart. So um, I, I'm very, very keen to sort of have um, her on the show and tell us, you know, wither Syria. Excellent, looking forward to that. Amberin, thank you for your time today. It was great as always. You're our first return guest. You're on, on the Middle East and Delighted you're going to be host as well, starting uh, next week, every now and then. That's going to be fantastic. I encourage everyone to tune in. And thanks for your many contributions to our monitor. Well, thank you, Andrew. We will be right back after this short break. I'm Ben Kaspit, Al Monitor veteran columnist reporting from Israel, one of the world's major news and action suppliers of all times, comparing to its tiny size. I've been covering and analyzing the political, diplomatic, and military arenas in Israel for over 34 years. My best-selling biography, The Netanyahu Years, was out two years ago. I covered seven prime ministers, one major war, two intifadas, one prime minister's assassination, two and a half peace treaties, four military operations in Gaza, and it's not letting up anytime soon. I'm glad to invite you to On Israel, our brand new podcast, where we will discuss major events in Israel and its surroundings, talk to decision makers, leaders, and analysts, and try to understand the chaos that comes with the territory of Israel and the Middle East. You will never have a dull moment with us. See you soon here on Israel Al Monitor. A couple of takeaways from my conversation with Amber and Zaman. First, despite the best intentions of Washington and Ankara for a new page in relations, things are going to get tougher, Amber says, as the sticking point in relations, Syria, the Kurds, the Gulan, 
the S-400s from Russia, all don't offer any easy exits or solutions. Second, I'm looking forward to Amberin's joining me as the other host of On the Middle East starting next week. And when she'll be talking with women about the big issues facing the region. And her first guest will be Elizabeth Surkoff of the Foreign Policy Research Institute. And they'll be talking about Syria. And that is well worth tuning into. Thank you all for listening to On the Middle East. And thanks to our production team of Phil Calabro of El Monitor and Beowulf Rochlin of Two Square Media Productions. We will be back next week. And in the meantime, please sign up for this and our other All Monitor podcast on Israel at your favorite podcast platform. Thank you.